Amen. He's our deliverer. Praise God. We are going to read from Romans chapter 8. If you would turn with me or look in your bulletin, please. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. This is the living word of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Father in heaven, we come before you now as your children to understand your precious word, which is our life, and to walk in obedience to it. And we ask that you would use your living word, now this means of grace, and the power of the Spirit who dwells in us, to conform us to your Son and to your will. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. Amen. Well, author Keith Miller tells of an outgoing 40-year-old woman who was part of a sharing group that he was leading. This is uh, quite some time ago, back in the 70s. And this is the story that she shared at that uh, sharing group. When I was a tiny little girl, my parents died and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all and no one seemed to want me. But I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over and what I did was to drive them away. But then one day the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them I was so excited that I jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial. And this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew that somehow it would work out. So I went with this family and started to school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine, and life began to open up for me just a little. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school and ran into the front door of the big old house we lived in. No one was at home. But in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. I didn't belong there anymore. And Miller reports that when the woman stopped speaking in that group, <clears throat> there was hardly a dry eye. And uh, I didn't have one when I first read this story. Uh, but when she cleared her throat, she went on and she said, uh, almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. But wait, don't feel too badly. It was experiences, this is her talking again, it was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God, and there I found what I had always longed for, a place, a sense of belonging, a forever family. And uh, so I, I weep when I think of the joy that she knows now, in comparison, certainly, she did not have a family, uh, but now she's a member. She's accepted into the forever family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the forever family, we are, of all people, we, of all people, should be assured that we have a place, we belong to an eternal family, and we can know our Father in heaven who loves us with an everlasting love. Now, some of the members of this body here at DCC have been adopted because loving people, led by the Lord often, uh, went through an often 
arduous and uh, sometimes expensive process, costly process, to claim them as new sons and daughters and to make them by law and by love part of their family. And all children of God, because of love and an arduous and costly process, to claim uh, on the cross especially, have been adopted by Jesus Christ to himself. We have been adopted into his family. And Ephesians 1.5 makes this very clear. It says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his good pleasure, brothers and sisters, to adopt us to himself. We are all here by his good pleasure, by his sovereign will, And this morning, I just want to remind us in this uh, sermon of how beautiful this is, how important it is for us to remember whose family we are a part of, who we are, in fact, and how blessed we are. And may the Lord be exalted. So I'd like to do that by covering four parts. Uh, If you look at your notes, it's, uh, I want to help us rejoice in our identity and remember that this morning as part of the family of God, as adopted sons and daughters of the King, so that we will delight in the spirit of adoption. First, uh, I'd like to just talk about who are the adopted. Uh, How do you join this family? How do you become part of that family? Second, what is adoption? Uh, What does it look like a little bit? Third, what are some of the privileges of adoption, the blessings of adoption? And then fourth, what are a few of the broad responsibilities uh, for those who are adopted into the family of God? So first of all, who is adopted? Who are the adopted, you could say? Well, the shortest answer is... uh, those given the Spirit, those given the Spirit, those in whom the Spirit dwells. Verse 14 of our text says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the gift of sonship, to God our Father, is not just by being born, of course, but by being born again. It's by grace, not by nature. We were, by nature, children of wrath, actually, like the rest of mankind. This is in Ephesians 2. We were, by nature, children of wrath. So the scriptures use the language of new birth in becoming children and becoming part of his family, as well as the language of adoption in becoming his children. It uses both. Now, in the Westminster Confession, uh, in chapter 12, Chapter 12 is called Of Adoption. It's a great summary, a a blessing to read. And it says, All those that are justified, God vouchsafes or grants or bestows in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. He has made us partakers of the grace of adoption, by which we are taken into the number and enjoy all the privileges of the sons and the children of God. So all those justified by faith in Jesus Christ are given the grace of adoption, which means they become part of the family of God, and this is not by works, it's by grace. They are taken into the number and are blessed with all the liberties and the privileges of children of the living God. Now, I'm sure we often take this for granted. Uh, We do so here in our family, our family of families here at, at Dominion Covenant Church. We take each other for granted. We take this assembly for granted. We even take our nuclear family for granted. We don't praise God that we are part of his family, that we are included and accepted and received as one of the number of the sons of God. And you've all experienced what it is to 
not be accepted or to not be included in some place where you wanted to be. Uh, probably, certainly not, hopefully not to the degree of the woman in the introduction. And I think I shared before that uh, when I was young, uh, in my neighborhood there were lots of uh, young men my age, and all they did was play baseball. So that's what I did, because I wanted to be part of them, but I wasn't very good at playing baseball. My vision isn't very good, I couldn't hit very good. And so I was usually the last one chosen by one of the captains. And so at least I was chosen, but it was very reluctantly. Uh, But I was included. Uh, But we were not chosen that way, praise God. We were predestined to be conformed to him. We were predestined to be his and to be received into the number of the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ by the spirit of adoption. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Well, secondly, what is adoption for a Christian? Uh, what is, basically, what is it? it? It is an act of grace b- uh, by each person of the Trinity. It is an act of grace of each person of the Trinity to bring us into the family of God. So the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us in love. And then the Son accomplished what was necessary to make us adoptable, if you will, as to make us acceptable as members of his family. And then the spirit of adoption was poured into our hearts to enable us and to empower us to want to be, first of all, members of his family, and then to have power to act as members of his family, to become more like our Heavenly Father. And our acceptance as children, our adoption into the family is, again, uh, not like the woman who uh, had a trial period, not only one, she had to go through that, she went through that seven times, seven trials, before she might be accepted and adopted. Uh, Those called into God's family are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in Jesus Christ. And we are seen by God, our Father, as righteous and acceptable because the righteousness of of his Son has been imputed to us. And we are growing in the family characteristics now by the work of the Spirit. So our adoption is an act of God's free grace through the work of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven freely gave this grace of adoption to us as he also justified us uh, by an act of his free grace through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and he is sanctifying us by a work of his free grace through the spirit of adoption. Our adoption is through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and we should praise God, praise the triune God for making us part of their family. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, The end, the ultimate end of the creation of God was to provide a spouse for his son, Jesus Christ, that might enjoy him and on whom he might pour forth his love. Heaven and earth were created in order that the son of God might communicate his love to his spouse and bring that bride into the very family life of the Trinity. There was, as it were, an eternal society or family in the Godhead, in the Trinity of persons, It seems to be God's design to admit the church into the divine family as his son's wife. Incredible. We are admitted into the family life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, in fact, when you think about it, we would never be able to understand what is a true family without being part of that family and how to relate as family members without understanding how they relate. And our adoption is all of grace. It's all of grace. And because the Father and Son and Spirit don't need to have us in their family, 
didn't need to, and we can't fit in it without their grace. It's all of grace. And there are two parts to the definition of adoption in the shorter catechism. The first one states that we have, we are, have been received into the number. And then uh, that's the number of the called, the number of the elect. Uh, and secondly, we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And we'll look in a minute at what a few of those privileges are. But first, what does it mean to be received into the number, to be adopted? Well, in the ancient world, formal adoption was usually uh, just by the wealthy. Uh, and not normally, it was not normally infants who were adopted. The people who were adopted were uh, young adults who had proven themselves in some way to be worthy of being adopted and being given the legacy of this family and uh, being there worthy to carry on the name. But spiritually, of course, we were not so. We couldn't prove ourselves worthy of adoption, to be fit to become a member of God's family, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve to be excluded from his family, but instead, in Christ, he forgave us and made us his own sons and daughters. The gospel of grace is marvelous. We are included in the family of God. Now, the word received means uh, being included or welcomed into or accepted joyfully into the family of God. And this, uh, when I thought about this, the verse that came to mind was in Zephaniah 3. And uh, so this uh, matter of being received uh, joyfully uh, comes out beautifully in Zephaniah 3. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is how much your heavenly Father loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. Meditate on that if you don't feel he is glad to have you in his family. Think about that for a while. He rejoices over you with love. Now, in talking about what is adoption, it's good to look uh, even briefly at uh, the other major passage, really, in the New Testament on this. We looked a little bit at Romans 8, but now if you would turn uh, quickly to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We were in bondage. We were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the Lord came to redeem us that we might receive the adoption as sons. God had to satisfy the just penalty for our law-breaking to adopt sinners into his family. John Piper said it this way, the status of being a son legally preceded the experience of the Spirit coming to give us the affections of sons. We are legally sons before we experience the joy of sonship. And it goes on in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God saved us, his children, from slavery to sin, from bondage to sin, like he did the people of God uh, from slavery in Egypt. And there is, really, in the history of redemption in the Scriptures, a lot about sonship. In Exodus 4, for example, Moses, uh, God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, he said to Pharaoh, let my son go. 
Now here in Galatians, the context is the promise of Abraham, that we are heirs to the promise of Abraham by faith. In Romans 8, the context is that uh, with Christ, we are heirs of all that God has given us in him. We are heirs of an amazing inheritance. J.I. Packer in the book Knowing God, which uh, a lot, the, one of the largest parts of that book is on uh, sonship, on adoption, and it's from the chapter called uh, Sons of God. He said, we do not fully feel the wonder of the passage from death to life, which takes place in the new birth, until we see it as a transition, not simply out of condemnation into acceptance, but out of bondage and destitution into the safety, certainty, and enjoyment of the family of God. It's a little long. I'll read it just one more time. We do not fully feel the wonder of the passage from death to life, which takes place in the new birth, until we see it as a transition, not simply out of condemnation into acceptance, and it is that, but out of bondage and destitution into, into the safety, certainty, and enjoyment of the family of God. And may we know here the safety and the certainty and the enjoyment, certainly, of being in the family of God. Now, the Shorter Catechism says that we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Uh, and there's much to enjoy as adopted sons and daughters. So we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Now, a right. It's, we have to be careful what rights we claim, right? We get in a lot of trouble by claiming rights we think we have, but we don't really have. Uh, for example, I... I've been married more than 30 years, and I, I sometimes think I have a right that my wife understands what I say, whether I say anything or not, but even if I say something poorly or miscommunicate, she still should understand. I, you know, but I don't have that right. You know, she can't read my mind. But we have this right guaranteed by the death of the Lord Jesus, and this can be claimed as a right. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So what are some of the privileges of our adoption, our rights? Uh, we don't have time to talk about them all. I'm just going to highlight a few. But before I do that, uh, I'd like to encourage you to uh, read through with your family uh, in the confession. Again, that's chapter 12. And there's a list there, and I'm just going to read those very quickly. First of all, we have his name put upon us. Secondly, we receive the spirit of adoption. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness, with, with confidence even. We are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. We are pitied, according to Psalm 103. We are protected. We are provided for. We are chastened by him. We are disciplined by our Father who loves us, yet never cast off, but we are sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. But I would just like to highlight a few of those. Uh, first of all, in uh, from verse 15 of Romans 8, it says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So we are freed from the bondage that we are under. There's no bondage to fear. There's no fear of, of not having a forever family, not being included in a forever family. There's no fear of the separation of death from our forever family. There's no fear of rejection by your father or your elder brother, the Lord Jesus. There's no fear of an enemy who could remove you from your forever family. There's no fear of ultimate loneliness and there's no fear of having to be perfect to be a part of this family or becoming a slave to legalism or of having to earn the love of your father. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you all received the spirit of adoption. 
In Galatians 4, it says, uh, verses 6 and 7, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And slaves back then had a lot of reason to live in fear. Uh, They had no rights. They could be killed at any time for just about anything. And so they were certainly in bondage to fear. But we, the children of God, are no longer under bondage to fear. God does not leave us in slavery. He does not treat us as aliens, but he pours his spirit into our hearts to give us the experience of being accepted and embraced in his family. Secondly, as his adopted children, we have taken his name. And we even read that in the, in the readings today. We've taken his name. Our identity is in him. Isaiah 43.1, which again we often read in the covenant promises, says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. We are now, you are now, identified as part of the family of God and are related to him. So we can come into his presence anytime, even boldly. He leads us uh, in the right way as we walk with him. He watches over us and he cares for us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Our identity is in him and his family now. The spirit of adoption was given to us to make us realize with increasing clarity the filial or family relationship with God in Christ by his free grace and to grow deeper in that relationship. And knowing your identity, I believe, is very important to how you relate with anybody. If you're going to think about a biblical self-image and you're going to uh, remind yourself of what that meant, this is what I would say to, you, to yourself. God is my Father. And understanding, actually, understanding who we are begins with the knowledge of God and who He is. So God is my Father. I am one of His children. His people are my brothers and sisters. I am part of God's family. Packer phrased it this way. You are a child of God. God is your heavenly father. Heaven is your home. Your savior is your brother. And every Christian is your brother too. So I need to ask you, ask yourselves, I need to ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know your real identity? Do you think about that very often? Do you praise God for who you are? Do you realize what family you are a part of? And do you reckon on that? Do you reckon on who you are in this family? You know, uh, I think most of you know that uh, our family meets regularly to have what we call, anyway, Duff Dynasty meetings. Okay, we don't do duck calls, and uh, I'd need a lot longer beard to really fit into the dynasty guy. But, but we're reading through a book, uh, the Families and Covenant Succession book, which uh, all of you have, I believe, And in that book, there's a section that asks some questions to help you understand your family's characteristics, your distinctives. And when we asked, that was the most, uh, that was the best meeting we had. Uh, Sherry and I didn't quite expect what we heard, but it was the most fun uh, for us to hear what our kids shared about, you know, what does it mean to be in the Duff family when they're, what do they remember when they were little growing up? You know, what do they remember? Uh, Well, we were kind of surprised uh, and pleased too, but, you know, how we taught, how we educated them, Uh, what we did on vacations, what we enjoyed, what we didn't enjoy, and, you know, strange humor and all those kind of things. So that was a a very interesting meeting, and I think that identity is important, of course. I think it's good for our kids to have, uh, to to know what it means to be in the Duff clan, okay? It's good to have family traditions, you know, so, um, but that's not as much as, 
as important as realizing my identity, your identity, in my forever family. Now, if we do not reckon our sonship as true and accept it and our identity, how can we relate to anyone in a way that pleases our Father? We, we don't know who we are and how to act. I mean, all people need to belong to a group. We're made that way. We're, we're meant to be included in, identified with some family. Or we just lose sight of who we are and, and we can suffer. We can suffer in loneliness and we can suffer in poor relationships. And, and this lack of identity causes people to do almost anything to be included in a group, in a family. He who formed you says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Rejoice, brothers and sisters, in your identity. Number three, as his adopted children, we are heir to the family treasure. In Romans eight seventeen, it says, We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we come to share in Christ's own inheritance as joint heirs with him. God our Father, for the sake of his only begotten Son, granted us as heirs an amazing inheritance. First Peter 1 says this inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, can't be defiled, and it does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now in the first century, I mentioned children or young adults, uh, were mostly young adults, were adopted in order to have an heir uh, the person needed an heir to whom they could bequeath the uh, wealth of the family, the, the entire estate, the legacy. And most of you, I believe, have seen, have seen Ben-Hur. I think I mentioned this sometime in the past that, you know, Ben-Hur was made a slave and he was on the, he was forced to row for many years on a Roman warship. And the commander of the fleet showed him mercy one time when, uh, and had him unchained right before the ship uh, sunk. And then uh, when Judah Ben-Hur saved him, the commander freed him and he adopted him. And Judah became his son, and he became an heir of all he had. He, he took on his name, he took on his citizenship, or his Roman citizenship, his wealth, and his status. We are heirs of all that is available in Christ. Heirs of grace now, and heirs of glory in the future. Well, number four, as his adopted children, we can enjoy, and we do enjoy, our family members. We can have fellowship and communion like we have this morning. Uh, and that's why I like calling uh, men and women my brothers and sisters. I, I like that term of endearment. I, I like remembering that that is our relationship. I think it's important. So I hope you don't mind, but I, I like calling you brothers and sisters. Now we've been going through the one another passages in the communion meditations uh, to highlight the meaning and the calling of what it means to be united in Christ and members of the same family. We can grow and we can learn together. Now, how to relate as family members. Learn, we learn to relate in our nuclear family also, and we, we learn to relate here in ways that please the Lord, especially in how to love one another. Now, this morning, we're meeting together as a family of families and individuals to worship our Father in heaven. This is a family gathering, and all around the world, our brothers and sisters are meeting and enjoying worshiping with their Father in heaven. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And as his adopted children, we come to the table uh, each week as a family. It's like a family gathering where we feast and we enjoy each other's company at our Father's table. It's our Father's table. Our Father prepared this table. Our Lord instituted that meal and he draws us together through that meal each week as a, as a family, as we enjoy a true Thanksgiving meal, a family celebration. 
Well, number five, as his adopted children, we are blessed by our father's discipline. We're blessed by his chastisement. Now, Hebrews 12, it, it shows that fathers must discipline their children. That's what fathers do. If they don't, the, the word that it uses there is illegitimate. But we are not really their children then. Uh, that is what loving fathers do. It, it isn't comfortable for us to receive uh, this, but uh, that passage says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the Lord does, through his word, uh, often chastise us. He, he disciplines us through his word, which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, sometimes the chastisement is, uh, is severe. It's by trial. And, and then he, sometimes he even uses the enemy in this. But praise God that he disciplines us and trains us as his children in love. Number six, as his adopted children, we know a love that is without end. It's without measure. Our Heavenly Father loves us in a way that we will be growing in forever to comprehend. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love. It would be a good question. What manner of love that God would choose, choose me to be a part of his family? And in the book of uh, First John, or the letter of First John, we see that sonship really, uh, that whole book is about love, and sonship is the supreme gift of God's love in that. And then in John chapter 17, we see that as his adopted children, we are loved by our Father in heaven as he loves his own son. Jesus prayed, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So not only can we know his great love for us, but we can learn to express our growing love for him because we have the spirit of adoption in us. Romans 8 said, we receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And because you are sons, this is from Galatians 4, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And in Romans 8, we know it says that the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the spirit helps us to pray uh, in a way that we can only cry out uh, to our Heavenly Father. Now, in Judaism, that phrase, Abba, Father, was rarely, if ever, prayed in public anyway to God the Father. But we, as his church now, by the spirit of adoption, uh, can address our Father intimately, and we should, as our Lord addressed God, his Father. Abba is an Aramaic expression. It's a term of endearment used in the family, and Spurgeon called it the filial cry, the filial cry. And he went on and said, the spirit is the author of adoption's special and significant cry. And this is the cry of the son of God in the garden. Mark 14, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So when you pray this way, it's like praying in your native language, in a sense, your heart language. And when I was in Japan, when we were in Japan, I, I could basically pray in Japanese uh, when we were there, but uh, even after nine years, I, I, it was very hard to pray in Japanese. But if I really wanted to pour out my heart uh, to my Father in heaven, it had to be in English. And even more so, uh, it was in my native language as a Christian, the cry of the heart as an adopted son through the spirit of adoption. In other words, Abba, Father. And may our Lord, through his Spirit, teach us to cry, to pray as he did 
to our Heavenly Father. That's one reason, by the way, we pray in Jesus' name here, uh, because we can pray to our Father as our Lord Jesus spoke with his Father. Sinclair Ferguson, in a, a book called Children of the Living God, said, For the Father's ear will be open as readily to our cries as it is to the voice of his own Son. The unique, intimate relationship between the Father and the Son is now being shared by the Son with all his people. Amen. The intimate relationship is being shared, that intimate relationship that we have. And we can cry out as he did. It's like the Lord is now saying to us, we may now speak with his Father as he spoke to him with the same right of access, the same sense of intimacy, and the same assurance that he loves us. J.I. Packer stated that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And he goes on to explain that the primary and the fundamental blessing of the gospel is justification. But justification by itself does not imply an intimate relationship. Adoption does. Adoption implies closeness and affection and loving relationships. You know, Packer said, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing to be justified. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. And may you grow in intimacy with your Father in heaven as his child. Well, there are eternal and present joys in being uh, adopted into the family, uh, into uh, the family of our Father in heaven. And to be a part of a family also means uh, that we share in the family chores, right? Most of you have, your children all have chores to do. We have chores in the family of God. And we also share in what happens to that family. I listed suffering as a privilege here and as a responsibility. So our first responsibility, as Phil was sharing this morning, I was thinking, yes, it is to suffer with Christ. We suffer in a difference of degree with our brothers and sisters, um, as Phil was praying this morning. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So suffering with the family is part of being in the family. In 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect it. It's part of the family. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if, anyone, if any one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. So if, our me- if members of our family are suffering, so are we, so do we. Romans 8 says, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So there is a groaning in the family until the resurrection of, at the last day, the, re- the redemption of our bodies. We will be groaning. And we should expect to be treated, shouldn't we, as he was since we are in his family. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then later on he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So we will be mistreated because we are part of the Lord's family, not theirs. We bear his name now. We live for him and his family, not for the family of those who do not know him or love him as father. And really, this is the ultimate family feud, I guess you could say. They've got the family of the world and the enemy hates and wars against the family of the Son. And Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship 
of his suffering being conformed to his death. He wanted to know, and he knew why. He was part of the family. He wanted to know, have fellowship, the fellowship of the sufferings of the Lord. Now, should suffering be listed as a privilege of adoption, as I did here? Yes, I believe so. From the Sermon on the Mount, which I guess you could call our family code, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. This is one of the privileges and one of the signs of adoption. We don't think much about it in that way, but there is great reward in suffering as a member of the family of God. Secondly, we need to reckon on our sonship. We need to reckon on it, and we need to avoid thinking like an orphan. Reckon on being a son and daughter. Avoid thinking like an orphan. We should not continue to think like the prodigal son. Uh, like the prodigal son. We should not say something like, well, I'm unworthy to be God's child, so I'll just settle for being a hired servant. Should not think that way. The problem then is that the Christian who thinks like this does not understand grace, does not fully believe maybe in the grace of God, is not walking in the grace and the love of God their Father. And it's a sad state to be in when the joy of inclusion in the family can be experienced and should be. So reckon on your sonship and adoption and avoid orphan thinking. Now, knowing God, Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts him and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. Now, in order to grow in our understanding of how we look at this, how we view our sonship, I did hand out the uh, spirit of sonship versus the spirit of an orphan uh, diagram, which Phil made back in 2001. And just, it's a great exercise to go through with your family, certainly individually. So I'd encourage you to do that. For example, if you look at the top, uh, under the category, the view of God, if you look at the sonship spirit, then you want you enter more and more reckon on that, that sonship, you, you would see God more as a loving father, as dependable, as consistent. Whereas if you are uh, thinking in, in an orphan way, you'd think of God more as a harsh master, not dependable, inconsistent. But it, it's helpful to go through these because in some of these categories, you uh, may need to ask your father in heaven to help you understand and to see that you are a son or daughter and avoid the orphan spirit. Well, finally, we should act as heirs. We are heirs. We should act that way. We are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, according to Ephesians. Children imitate their parents. It's what they do, uh, which causes some of us parents to cringe, of course, when we think about how that happens. They, 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 uh, they imitate us in, in all the ways that sometimes we, wish, sometimes we wish they wouldn't. But, you know, we all should be growing in living lives that befit, that reflect, the character of our Father, our Heavenly Father. People ought to see the character of our Father uh, growing in us as He restores His image in us, as He sanctifies us and He conforms us to the image of His Son and His elder, and our elder brother. And uh, to do that, we must apply the means of grace and discipline ourselves in the means of grace He has given us, primarily by consistent, diligent prayer and through a growing diligence in learning His Word. So to help in asking ourselves to conclude, I'd like to, on the back, there are some questions 
I'd like to, you to think about asking these of yourself or of your family also uh, as, as a way of review, but also, uh, am, I, am I acting? Am I reckoning on who I am? Do I understand my adoption? Do I value it? Do I daily remind myself of my privilege as a child of God? In other words, I think, are you thankful to be in the family? Do I understand my adoption? Do I value it? Do I daily remind myself uh, of my privilege? Sorry, have I sought full assurance of my adoption? Do I daily dwell on the love of God to me? Do I treat God as my Father in heaven, loving, honoring, and obeying him, seeking and welcoming his fellowship and trying in everything to please him as a human parent would want his child to do? In other words, are you seeking your Father in heaven? Do I think of Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord, as my brother too, bearing to me not only a divine authority but also a divine human sympathy? Are you daily praising the Lord for his work on the cross? Do I think daily how close he is to me, how completely he understands me, how much as my kinsman redeemer he cares for me? Are you growing in the intimacy and crying out, Abba, Father? Have I learned to hate the things that displease my father? Am I sensitive to the evil things to which he is sensitive? Do I make a point of avoiding them lest I grieve him? And also, do I accept his loving discipline? Does the family likeness appear in me? Are you conforming to Christ? And if not, why not? Do I look forward daily to that great family occasion when the children of God will finally gather in heaven before the throne of God, their father, and of the lamb, their brother, and their Lord? Do I love my Christian brothers and sisters with whom I live day by day in a way that I shall not be ashamed of when in heaven I think back over it? Do I enjoy to the fullest the communion of the saints and the table of the Lord? Am I furthering the family welfare by loving the brethren and am I applying the one another's? And finally, am I proud of my father of his, and of his family to which by his grace I belong? Let's pray. Father in heaven, how can we praise you enough for including us in your family, your forever family. And not only that, but you have given us all the privileges of being your children. And we rejoice and we give thanks that we can gather each week as a family, that we can come to the family communion meal and into your very presence at any time as thankful children, happy and blessed to be accepted and cared for by our almighty and loving Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for adopting us. And we praise you in the name of Jesus, our Christ, our King, and we rejoice in him and pray in his name. Amen.